Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. You gotta love the shamelessness of a dad willing to do a tag team sermon so both of his sons can speak together. Um, but I would say that it's, it's all, that's one thing, it's all together uh, an entirely different thing to rig the entire NCAA tournament so that your son wins it. <laughs> that's, that <laughs> makes me sick to my stomach, to be honest. Well, it's a privilege to uh, open God's Word with you this morning, um, as it is any morning, but at the beginning of Holy Week, uh, I count it in a special, uh, a special privilege and joy. So thanks for welcoming me with that. Um, God once said, long time ago, speaking to his people, he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I'm guessing that anyone here who has followed Jesus for more than a couple of days knows that all too painfully well, that my ways and God's ways don't always line up. In fact, more often than not, the things I prefer to happen don't happen the way I want them to, and, and, and sometimes quite the opposite. When I look at my life and consider all the things that I wish would have happened that haven't happened, or I consider uh, the fact that I don't have perfect health, or that I don't sport a glorious mane on top of my head, that I don't have self-parenting children, all the many things that I could, that the relationships can be difficult, that I still struggle with sin and weakness far beyond what I had wished at this point in my life, I must admit, God's ways aren't my ways. And when I zoom out and look at the world and the suffering and the pain and the brokenness, the things that we pray for, that we cry out to God to save us from. We see how the brokenness and the darkness continues to affect us and people we love. We have to at least admit, my ways are not your ways. I don't know if any of you can relate when you think about your own life. But I believe with all my heart that Jesus saves but I must admit that he often does it differently than I expect. And that shouldn't come as a surprise to me or to anyone who's followed Jesus for any uh, length of time. In fact, Jesus' whole life, his whole ministry, uh, was one unexpected event or unexpected message after another. And so this shouldn't surprise us at this point, from his birth in a stable to his welcoming of sinners, to his rebuking of religious leaders, to his telling people that if they really want life, they need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. This was a man who came in some unexpected ways. And so staying true to form, Jesus' final week of his life on this earth, we ought to expect might have looked very different than we would have expected it to. And that's what we get to look at this morning. So if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 11. I think it'll show up on the screen if 
if you don't have one, but we're going to read from Mark chapter 11, a very familiar passage, one that uh, you've probably read many times and heard many sermons on Palm Sunday. Let's read from Mark 11, starting in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away, found a colt, tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told him what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. There's a lot unexpected about this scene alone, right? We've got a humble carpenter turned teacher riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. As he's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, people are crying out things about him being some kind of a king. People are throwing their clothes in the streets. That's certainly unexpected today. We've got people quoting Psalm 118, associating these great promises of centuries past with this otherwise unimpressive moment of a man on a donkey. We've got people making connections between this donkey riding Jesus and the greatest king Israel ever knew from a thousand years before, King David. Some very unexpected things going on on Palm Sunday. But there was a lot that clearly has been expected for a very long time, if you pay close attention, right? Jesus expected his uber donkey to be waiting right where he thought it would be. He expected people to ask, what are you going to do with the donkey? And so he gave an answer. There was this millennium-old ex expectation that King David's throne would be set up and endure forever. It went all the way back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. There was an enduring expectation among God's people that someday God would come and save them, as Psalm 118 uh, reminds us. There was even an expectation for the previous 500 years, according to Zechariah 9, that this king would come riding in on a donkey. And that this king riding on a donkey would, was going to bring freedom for thirsty prisoners. If you read Zechariah 9. So in all that's unexpected, there's a lot going on here that, that gives us the idea that not everything was unexpected. In fact, some of these things had been well planned for a long time and were happening, amazingly, according to plan. And then even so, as these events and the events of the following week would play out, we have to admit that even the things that were being expected to play out played out in very unexpected ways. A king 
would be crowned, but he was going to be crowned with thorns. Peace would come, but it was going to come through self-sacrifice rather than conquest over enemies. There would be bloodshed, but it would be his own blood. Enemies would be disarmed and fall powerless, but it would come through the triumph of a bloody cross. Prisoners would be set free, but it would be freedom from the tyranny of sin and death more than it would be freedom from the tyranny of any political system or party. So it's safe to say that as God's people, we ought to get used to God working in ways that are altogether unexpected. His ways aren't our ways. But they're always better. They're always better. And I'm so thankful that God has not answered all of my prayers the way that I've wanted him to in the moment, right? Very thankful that God hasn't worked my life out according to my blueprint because I'd be a miserable, self-sufficient uh, proud man running headlong into all manner of evil. And so I'm a man who's learning, most likely alongside many of you, that when I cry out, Hosanna, Lord save me, and his next move or his next several moves are very different from what I wanted or what I expected, I can rest in his wisdom, in his love, in his power, remembering that at least for now, his war horse often looks more like a donkey. Good morning. I'm Caleb, uh, Josh's big brother. And as I sit back there, I still see him as my little brother, even though his arms are bigger than mine. They have been bigger than mine since high school. Uh, I still see that, that little brother. And even when Double A is up here playing the guitar and doing his thing, these are, these are my little brothers. It doesn't matter, you know, wh where we are in life and that I'm creeping up on the 4-0 and that Josh has gray in his beard and that his kids are practically adults and mine are still down here like, play with me, bigger cousin, play with me. They're, they're still, so when I see Josh, I, as he's talking here, I'm thinking back to when we were in high school. And then I went off to college and I played football at USC. And Josh would call me uh, before his, uh, what did I, did I say something wrong? Oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't play football. Look at these bones. I played volleyball. That dude played football. So I go to USC to play volleyball, but Josh is calling me before his high school football games and I'm giving him pep talks because I was the big brother, remember, still am. And so Josh is getting ready for his football games and I'm talking him through it on a Thursday night or a, or a Friday morning before school and it's, you know, what are you thinking about? How's the game plan? How you feel? Are you prepared? And all these kinds of things. And then Josh goes off to, he's successful, has a great football career in high school. Then he goes off to Wheaton College he plays football. He's the quarterback there. The guy had built all these years of uh, some serious knee damage playing the sport that he loved. 
no cartilage left in his knees. And he's, I think to this day, seven surgeries on, on, those, on those knees. And uh, his, before his senior, seri- senior season at Wheaton, I think it was probably like his fifth or sixth surgery on those knees. And it just became clear that he wasn't going to be able to play the sport that he loved at the level that he was used to. These knees were not coming back. He wasn't going to be able to run the stairs. He wasn't going to be able to carry the teammates on his back during the training sessions. He wasn't going to be able to do all the things that his teammates were doing, that his coaches expected him to do with the knees in the condition they were in. And his coach pulled him in before his senior season and broke his heart telling him, we're not going to go with you as the starter. And so as the older brother, I sit back there and I still remember stuff like that. And I still remember my younger brother Josh coming home and me being there and him saying, why won't God heal my knees? I'm praying all the time. I went to the prayer meeting and they did the oil thing. And someone told me at this one church or at this one prayer time that if I just had enough faith, he would do it. So he says, I guess I don't have enough faith. I guess there's something wrong with me. I guess God doesn't want to do this for me because of something in my life or, or that I'm not good enough in his eyes or something like that, which broke my heart as the older brother just sitting there watching helpless. And what I wanted to do was go find the person at the prayer meeting that said that to my brother and break his knees. Because how many kids and maybe how many of us grow up thinking that there's something wrong with us? that God's angry at us, that he doesn't love us, that he doesn't care because he didn't do the thing that we prayed for. And someone said, well, if you just have more faith, well, God's punishing you because of something in your life. Well, if you were right with God, then he would certainly do that thing. As if God is a genie in a bottle that we can just rub, and, or as if it's our performance that merits his favor, that, that is going to be what kind of determines what he does in our life. It's not. And so I remember being there with Josh. We're back at my parents, our parents' house. And he says, my prayers aren't working. And so after he fell asleep, I put my hands on his knee. And I prayed for him. And I thought, maybe, maybe I have enough faith. But God didn't answer that prayer for me either. And so I had to wrestle with these kind of questions. Well, why? Why, God? Why don't you show up in the way we expect, in the way that we want, in the way that we're praying? Why don't you? Are you angry? Are you a police officer in the sky just punishing us for the things that we do wrong? Is that who you are? And we miss them, don't we? We think that, and some of us in this room even now have felt disconnected from God for some time because of a prayer that we prayed, because something that we asked for that he didn't do, at least not in the way that we thought. And so there's a gap, there's a disconnect, there's disappointment, and we wonder, should I even come? Should I even keep praying? Is this God listening Some people that you care about are not here because of that struggle in their heart and in their soul. But Jesus came on a donkey. When everyone 
expected him to ride in on a chariot, at least on a powerful horse, and overthrow the oppressive Roman government. He came in on a young donkey that represented peace. As if he was saying, I come in peace. I come in peace. Oh, you want me to overthrow this whole world system? This whole superpower? This whole deal? And take you out from the oppressive thumb of the Roman Empire? That's what you're expecting? Yeah, I came to do something a little bit different. How about I handle this other thing first? He says, I come in peace. And if that peace is good news for us, it's good news for everybody. In John 3, 17, Jesus says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So his priority, even before giving the bad guys what they deserve, which it's kind of tough to determine sometimes who those bad guys are, isn't it? Even before giving the Romans what they deserve and liberating the Jewish people, that wasn't his priority. I came to save you, as Josh said, in a different way, in a way that you weren't expecting. I'm telling a bigger story here. But what happens What happens just days later? All the people that are there throwing their cloaks and these palm branches into the road so that Jesus can go by saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. You're the one. You're the king. You're the David guy. You're the savior guy. We believe. We're here. And then Jesus marches on that little colt, on that little donkey. He gets arrested. He goes to a cross to hang and die. Where are those people? Nowhere to be found. It didn't go the way that they expected. Mark 14, 50 says, Then everyone deserted him and fled. Because they were expecting this. And Jesus showed up like this. They were expecting him to save in a way that was practical that they were praying for, that they thought that they understood, the way they interpreted the Old Testament scriptures, the way that they thought a saving God should rectify the situation. They had this expectation, and Jesus was over here doing this, something far bigger than they could possibly comprehend, which is really good news for me, for us. Because no doubt, we have expectations that are over here, that we're praying for knees. And we should, by the way, please, by all means. And sometimes he might do that thing. But even if he doesn't, it's because he's telling a bigger story. His path was an unexpected one. No one expected that the savior of the world was going to be arrested, beaten within an inch of his life, and sacrificed in a shameful way, in a cursed way, on a tree. Nobody saw that coming. No one saw that this was the path. But he was showing us something. Not only taking away the sins of the world, he was showing us the path 
that it turns out there's always a death before a new life. There's going to be losses before you see what he's doing in the newness, before you see what he wants to give you. There's always, there's always going to be something back here that needs to be let go, that needs to go away, that needs to die, that needs to be transitioned so that you can see the new thing that he's trying to do. He was showing us the path all along with his own life. It turns out death does lead to new life. And so this unexpected path leads to his unexpected presence right in the middle of your pain, right in the middle of your disappointment and my grief and sadness, right there when I'm with my brother praying for knees and God isn't healing. But God is creating a man. He's creating a man who understands how to overcome adversity, a man who understands that football isn't the end-all, be-all in his life, a man who can parent five kids, which is, I guess, what happens when you move to the Northwest or the Midwest. <laughs> it's, a different, it's a different thing that God's doing, an unexpected thing. Not what we were asking for, maybe, but so much better. So you might not get the entry that you were looking for. It might not be the pomp and circumstance that you wanted. It might not be the job that you thought would be yours. The reconciliation of the relationship, it might not happen on the timeline that you were expecting, that you needed it to. The turn in the business, it might not play out. Maybe that business needs to die. The thing might look differently, but Jesus is in it. And even if it dies, resurrection's coming. And even if you're disappointed, resurrection's still coming. And even if it's divorce, resurrection's coming. And even if it's death or disease or depression and whatever the despair, we can have hope even when we don't get what we're expecting because we know that someday resurrection is coming. God, we believe that. We look for that. We know that your ways are not our ways. And we trust you with open hands. We're going to pray the prayers. We're going to ask for the things. We're going to ask for you to do the miracles. And we're going to look for the surprises. Trusting in faith that regardless of the circumstances, resurrection's coming. That you can be trusted. That you are the God who saves. That you don't come to condemn. You come to save. And God, we invite you to do that in our life and our circumstances today. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.